When the mind stops searching, when it stops wanting refuge, when it no longer goes in search of security, when it no longer craves more books and information, when it ignores even the memory of desire, only then will love arrive within. What is love? Why do we often relate love to the organ of the heart? Could it be that there is far more to this gland than we realize? This episode will cover the key to deep meditation and intuition. And we will also cover how this chakra is the central point through which all the other chakras should work through. In other words, this is the seat of our conscience and sort of the judge and governor of whether those chakras will spin positively or negatively, making it the most important chakra. As long as you have this chakra always balanced, you will always reside in the higher dimensions of consciousness. So this is where karma is first born, because if we do not learn to listen to the silent intelligence of the heart center, then we inevitably create karma, suffering, and lower states of consciousness. Okay, so this is the fifth episode in this series on awakening the chakras, where we'll cover the heart chakra, Anahata in Sanskrit, the Church of Theatira, and is the colour green. Uh, by the way, I'm getting a lot of questions related to things I covered in previous episodes in this series, so just a reminder, if you're really interested in all of this, please do start from episode 1. Also, since there are so many new subscribers, I'd like to get to know your preferences in relation to what series I'll be doing next. I've posted a poll on the community tab page of the channel. Please do vote from the list of options that I've given there. And also, please do comment on that post with really any other suggestions for any kind of series or episodes so that I can get an idea of what you you all uh, would prefer to see first. And also upvote or like comments from other people who gave suggestions uh, that you like too. The list I suggested on the poll is quite small, but they're some of my main areas of experience. But I also have my own episode idea list, and there's just hundreds on there, so it's a little difficult sometimes to choose what I should cover next. So please vote, I'll pin the link in the comments section below. Also, it's been suggested by quite a few of you that I create some kind of accessible resource which includes all of the practices that I'm teaching in this series. I will be creating a web page on my website where I'll include all of the practices. This will be completed towards the end of the series, and I'll let you know. Also, uh, I noticed quite a few of you are joining on YouTube membership uh, instead of Patreon. That's fine. But if you do, be sure to go to the community tab where you'll see the link and instructions on how to join our Discord group. If you have any problems, just let me know. I have to say it here because YouTube unfortunately doesn't let creators send any sort of private messages to members, so that's why Patreon is preferred. I can just message any of you anytime. 
Okay, so the heart chakra, this is where we all come together as a species out of all of the religions, love is the most accessible one, right? Accordingly, this is where all intellectual understanding is synthesized into feeling, okay? It's one thing to know something intellectually, a completely other thing, quite superior thing, to know it through emotion, superior emotions, through sensing. You could even call this absolutely a sixth sense, intuitive. So you could very much say that the heart center is the superior way of knowing intellectual information. And when it comes to romance and relationships, everyone, no matter who you are, can be changed through love. Everyone has this universal understanding of this. Even the most senile, decrepit, hateful and bitter of people can be changed through love. If people like that find love, so much energy is restored to them and they transform at their core, this chakra being the core of our conscious awareness. And when we're disconnected from that, that is when we become hateful, senile, decrepit, bitter. And when such a person finds love, they suddenly become motivated in many ways, mood is elevated, ecstasy and happiness is felt in the body, and so on. And this chakra is also where decisions are made, okay? If we want to live a spiritual life, being decisive is so crucial, especially when it comes to the heart chakra. You know the saying, someone had a change of heart and they suddenly changed their decision about something? So it doesn't matter if the head saw or liked something or even the lower chakras saw or liked something. It is the heart that chooses where we go and what we do in any aspects in life. But in most of us, this fantastic organ is atrophied and unbalanced in its many parts. You may already know that there is an inherent nervous system within the heart made up of 40,000 neurons similar to brain neurons. Research shows that it can learn, remember, feel and sense independently. So clearly there is a much deeper intelligence, a deeper dimension to be found within the energy felt within our chests, specifically which is to the left side a bit, which of course in biological terms means that it is more connected to the right side of the brain, since biologically speaking the left hemisphere controls the right side of the body and the right hemisphere controls the left side of the body. Now one massive issue we are faced with today is understanding what love and the heart truly means because we have so many ideologies and generalizations from movies, YouTube, books and even our ideas of marriage, religion and spirituality. All of those things are not love itself. We do not get love from stories, pets, relationships, spirituality, religion, money, social status. They can be catalysts for that. We can experience love through those means but they are not love itself. If we thought they were actual sources of love, we would truly be miserable human beings, desperately and conditionally attached to these things, or 
you know, are we not already like that? Well, of course we are when we spend time only looking externally and are blind to how the internal phenomenon of love arises within. So the truth is, what most of us are seeking every day does not lead to happiness. It's fleeting. Even most high-end, rich and famous celebrities are not actually happy. And why? Because yes, they've developed in the solar plexus region, which remember is the region of the actor or actress. They're extremely skilled at manipulating and mastering the ego, their expression of personality. But if that's all they value, which the world certainly keeps telling them that that's what they are, and that persona is what makes them valuable, well, if that celebrity identifies with that strongly, thinking that that's what makes them great, instead of something deeper, then that person is completely blocking themselves from the heart chakra where they can begin to find true happiness. It's tricky for people like that because those who have no spiritual direction really should always be mindful of the persona in which people see them. It's only a surface layer phenomena of themselves. It's not real. It's just an idea, ethereal. And you are not an idea. You are much more profound, a much more deeper layer of consciousness which has far more value than whatever occupation or personality you have. And so we can apply that to ourselves. What kind of ego, what kind of personality do we have? Are we identified with that? Are we identified with the idea of what we like and what we dislike and what we do and what is our job? It's certainly something we have to meditate on if we want to break free from the boundaries and shackles of the idea of ourselves and grow in awareness and expand our awareness beyond the idea of ourselves. So in conclusion, don't love your ego too much, okay? We also have to hate ourselves in, in some sense, especially those parts of ourselves that those ideas and dreams of ourselves that we don't like, that are destructive and that are egoic. It's just a material tool, a physical expression. So this is why we have to work on the lower chakras where our love has been skewed in many ways. We all love lower things, drama, gossip, things, people, but we barely find love for the divine, finding love for something transcendental, that which is beyond all of this, out of this world, quite literally, and we don't because we struggle to see the logic in it. So accordingly, a lot of us love many things, right? But what is love? The ego will define this word in any way it wants. It's like the word God. It's such an overused term. So we should first be very mindful that it is just the word, just the sound that comes out of our mouth. And if we experience the direct reality to which the word love points to, we won't be able to do it justice with words. We won't be able to define it with language at all. That's the problem and the mystery of it, but which also makes it so wonderful and transcendental when we do find it.
we could say a few definitions of what it is not, such as love is not merely something sentimental or emotional. It is a very profound and intelligent dimension of consciousness which can expand our life in ways we can't currently imagine, especially high degrees of love that comes from within a very pure centre within. It literally has the power to heal not only you and your physical body, but other people as well. With people where that love is within such a high vibration, such a high frequency, just being in the presence of those kinds of people or those kinds of beings has a profound effect and no words even have to be said. I've had various experiences like this um, a couple of times in the physical with certain people and uh, more often in the astral plane meeting certain beings who are just far beyond our earthly understanding of love. It's like a love that is almost scary and so powerful that it can bring you to your knees and, you know, you can start to just cry out of a place you've never cried before. Um, I will probably, you know, share more experiences like that in the future. But of course, those are quite uh, personal experiences. So, you know, when it's experienced in the physical plane, there's a sort of inherent understanding that comes from the basis of it all. We understand the beautiful connection we have with and throughout all things, recognizing how you perceive everyone else as an expression of you, an extension of you. And there's so much joy in this and so much life-affirming energy in this, in this feeling of where nothing is separate, everything is connected, and that you are part of a much larger intelligence at work, and that you realize directly that consciousness is not in the body. The body is in consciousness, and so is everything else. Uh, let me touch on what is the main and central theme for almost every song, movie, novel, or any other kind of human artistic expression, which is usually some kind of intimate relationship. You know, the pursuit of love and romance. This feeling and longing to be with another perfect soul is integral to each and every one of us. In reality, this feeling comes from the spiritual instinct to merge and have sacred union with our own soul. Remember, as explored in the previous episodes, that we don't really have a soul right now. Or more precisely, the soul is in shackles or bottled up by the ego. And this relates to fantasy stories such as the princess stuck in the castle and the hero has to go and save the princess because the soul is usually, uh, you know, depicted as feminine. In Gnosticism, this is also understood as Sophia in the Gnostic Bible, Pistis Sophia. Now, of course, most of us do not even barely think about the soul, and instead we project this innate and natural desire outwards to people instead, thinking that we will find some kind of soulmates who will finally make us happy. This is perhaps 
one of the most destructive ways to approach a relationship? How is that anything to do with love? That a person must fit your demands of what you and your delusions think makes them perfect, and then what happens when they turn out to not be in alignment with your fantasies of who you thought they were after marrying them? Conflict arises and we don't like that conflict, which is another mistake. We have to learn to lovingly embrace conflict in order to transcend even higher together, whether it's conflicts in personal issues or with your partner, okay? We have to embrace conflict and the heart usually, you know, turns away from that, turns a blind eye. And being in an intimate relationship often brings things to the surface you wouldn't usually discover as quickly or easily as if you were alone. And so this is how relationships can be a very powerful tool for deepening your own self-realization. And also why most people don't stay together for very long because it's not that they can't stand being with that person, but that they can't stand being with themselves. So similarly, as we explored in the previous episode about the solar plexus chakra, there is a massive aspect of inner fight for our soul. And it is not just limited to that chakra, it is also in the heart too, as we saw these two chakras are intimately related. And so one basis for a successful intimate relationship is willingness to fight. Obviously not fight as in have a domestic or heated argument full of hate, but to fight with nothing but love and self-sacrifice. So you see, when we first fall in love, which you may be able to recall in your younger days when you had a crush or an infatuation with someone, that there is really nothing but pure ecstasy and admiration for that soul that you have fallen in love with. You feel a burning in your chest. Cosmic energies are literally flowing into your heart and then stimulates the endocrine glands of your body and puts many hormones to work. It fills us with vitality and bliss. In ancient Greek, the word hormone means longing of being or strength of being. So then, if it is so, you two get together and it's wonderful and amazing for some time because you both have sexual and psychological attraction. But then after a while, especially if we use the relationship for a source of happiness and love instead of working on ourselves, then egoic issues inevitably arise that we had from the beginning to start with. And because we didn't deal with them properly, the relationship degenerates because, as we've been exploring, all our energies are already, you know, going downwards. And we have to be generators ourselves independently of this energy going upwards. If one person, at least in the relationship, is not working on themselves for those energies to go upwards, then the couple is going to both uh, fall into a lot of arguments and a lot of, uh, you know, manifesting a lot of conflict. So, yes, all of our energies are going downwards, the fiery kundalini is not awakened in the couple, and this is all amplified by the fact that most people approach relationships as just another mode of consumerism instead of altruism. 
Now, I've hinted in previous episodes that each chakra that is above governs the corresponding one below. That is true, except for the heart. The heart has so much more spiritual significance than what most of us assume, such as just falling in love or feeling sentimental emotions or just doing what is good or what we think is good. Remember that the heart is placed directly in between all of the main chakras. Below the heart, there are three inferior chakras. Above the heart, there are three superior chakras. So as you may be able to understand, the heart is the infinity symbol, as you can see on the screen, with it being at the very center. This is the key to liberation. For without it, wisdom of the higher chakras will be useless. Spiritual powers, useless. Your entire life, useless, meaningless, miserable. You see, to have wisdom without love is actually a source of destruction and evil. The more wiser a person becomes who does not have love, does not have the chakra awakened, is much more dangerous than someone who has a lot of love and no wisdom. As mentioned in the previous episodes, we must not live simple-mindedly in the face of spiritual awakening and we have to become intelligent, but we also must equally equilibrate that with the development of the heart through the highest form of good that we can conceptualize and then live towards that. Our ability to dream is not just there for the ego, for fantasies and dreams like I always talk about, but it is there for a superior purpose too. It is there for us to play with and explore art in order to come to greater levels of forming ideas about the highest morality that we can think of and then apply ourselves to it. And this is where religion becomes so profound, because if you can use your imagination, your mind, your dreams about the most highest good, the most highest form of good, what would you think of? Just doing good deeds here and there? Or what about the amazing, you know, fantasy ideas about religion, about sacrifice, of Christ, of Buddha, of healing. These are the most profound and most sublime ideas, and why wouldn't we apply ourselves to that? Now, if you study the anatomy of the heart, you'll see how one side of our blood pumps in one circuit and the other in another circuit. And what's interesting is the two opposite bloodstreams don't collide with each other, but help each other to advance together. So the heart is to do with rhythm and balance and relationship. It's a sort of dance with yourself and to push yourself in one direction will also push yourself into another direction. So accordingly the heart has this affinity with the symbol of infinity. So, as we can see on the screen with the infinity symbol, there's two sides. But should we be concerned with just one side? Uh, no, we have to focus on the center where we can have a good vantage point of each side in any given situation. So, this relates to duality. Duality in the sense of thinking, believing, and also action. 
And what we want to achieve is to not just understand dualistic situations, but to ascend this whole infinity symbol itself in levels of consciousness so that our conscience presents us with better options in any given situation. Our conscience being a dance on either side of this circuit of the symbol of infinity. Our conscience is that inner voice making decisions, classically depicted as an angel or a devil on either shoulder, whispering into our ears. Yeah, they're always there, this energy of that. From the moment you wake up, whether you are going to uh, stay on Facebook for an hour on your phone or whether you get up and do some spiritual practice and seize the day, there is always that conscience at work of what you are going to do. So it's not that we should always listen to good or bad, but listen to both and understand the nature of duality and conflict within moments of doubts and struggle in our lives and understand why we are in conflict in those moments. Obviously, we always know deep down in our hearts what we should do and what's right and that's related to the angel as opposed to the devil. But I'm also saying that we need to be conscious of our conscience so that we understand what's happening. We need to be aware of the processes and unconscious decisions of our heart center, whether good or bad, because with greater understanding brings more efficiency. And because similarly, even the conscience itself can be atrophied or more precisely misinterpreted. We have a bad connection, a bad relationship with our heart because sometimes when we make decisions, we think one action is good when it necessarily isn't and that one action is bad when it necessarily isn't. And this also ties in nicely with the third eye and crown chakra because we need wisdom to understand the language of the heart too. And generally speaking, everyone is fascinated with the third eye, right? And there's so much information on how to open the third eye. But what we should be first much more concerned with is opening the heart eye. This is something you never really barely hear or see on the internet. Really, this is where our awareness should be fixated. Our heart, our awareness, our inner eye should look up at the brain always. That's how our awareness should work, not the other way around. The brain should not be looking down at the heart. If we use our third eye through the heart, everything is understood and nothing is scary. But if we use the third eye through lower emotions and ego, disconnected from the heart, then there's usually a lot of confusion and fearfulness and much lack of understanding due to this disconnection with intelligent, intuitive feeling. You know, maybe you've been listening to this and you can feel whether your awareness is placed in your head or whether it's placed in your heart. Where do you live? So we can start to see how this chakra predicts what kind of karma we have in life. Remember that karma is not just the idea that something is either punishing you or rewarding you for good or bad things you do. It is just a law of cause and effect. Karma is not an idea. 
Karma is directly verifiable phenomena. When you begin to observe your life and yourself and how certain behaviors, thoughts and desires determine many positive and negative outcomes in your life. Karma is very simple, but most of us don't understand this because we don't want to admit that we are the creators of certain bad manifestations in our life. And most people don't want to admit that they're stuck in one perspective of themselves and aren't able to see other perspectives, other versions of themselves, other possibilities in their life. They're just stuck there, stuck in a dream, a bad dream that they can't get out of, as if they don't have a choice. That's karma. When you feel you don't have a choice to do anything else, when really you do. You know the amount of people I talk to where I make a sensible suggestion for them to resolve an issue in a situation that they're struggling in and they say, yeah, but Jean, I can't do that. Or in other words, they're saying, I'm not capable of that. Or sometimes they say, I'm not like you, I can't do that. Well, that's your karma, isn't it? If you're not even willing to choose to try and approach something differently and see a different perspective. And you know, sometimes karma isn't just about what you do, but we also create karma from things we don't do. So there's a big lack of awareness and which is why people feel stuck and why they don't understand that they're creating these negative situations in life. You know, it's a sort of blissful ignorance, not helping someone or speaking up in times that we should or just not doing things that we know we should according to our conscience. So again, we're disconnected from the heart centre. If we were in touch with our heart centre and listened to our conscience, we would do what we usually wouldn't. So to touch a little bit more on karma, uh, in terms of archetypes and divinities, which I'm glad to see uh, quite a few of you are enjoying learning about these uh, gods and archetypes which are within us, there's an inner archetypal intelligence that we can reflect on to understand this in terms of not just our waking life, but also our afterlife which is the hierarchical master of karma, Anubis, which is the idea that where at the moment of our death, Anubis weighs our heart on a scale and on the other end is a feather in order to see if our heart is as light as a feather. If it is, we ascend to the heavens. If not, he throws our soul to the underworld in order to keep learning. As someone who works with energy, I can tell you that this lightness of heart is a real thing. You can feel if someone's heart is heavy or not. Of course, there are many energies in between. It's not a simple-minded thing, but in its extremities, there are those with relatively light hearts and those with heavy hearts. Those with heavy hearts pay a high price in terms of their day-to-day -day experience, and it usually comes with a lot of suffering. But remember also having a heavy heart means there's more opportunity for enlightenment. So to have a heavy heart by itself is sort of a bad thing. But to have a heavy heart, but work with it, transmute it every day, is to create a transcendentally strong heart, a strong soul.
So this symbolism of the Lord of Karma, of Anubis, with the scales, can be something wonderful to meditate on with the purpose of getting in touch with our own heart and how it feels. That's already one practice that you can do if you resonate with that. I actually did that many years ago and as a result also had an out-of-body experience with that being. Um, I may share that on the channel at some point. And remember, I'm not just talking about the afterlife as an idea. I'll tell you now that I know to an extent what happens when we die, because I've left my body consciously and visited these spiritual worlds, the lower astral plane, the higher astral plane, the mental plane, and, and I've understood that our level of consciousness absolutely and completely determines what kind of environment and what kind of experience we shall inherit over there. It all determines that, and I've met souls who are living through that experience, of that causal experience. It probably seems out of reach or out of this world for many of you, but that's the truth. It's the fact that we move and are caught up in many dimensions at the same time, which is the cause of suffering in waking life and in the afterlife. We are trapped in many different dimensions because our mind is split. You see, for many souls who have a lot of suffering, they don't just stay in heaven or hell, uh, it's quite common to bounce back and forth, just as we do in physical life. One day we are happy, another we are angry, this is akin to being caught in a storm. Hence, the heart chakra is the element of air. Right now, our air space is full of winds coming from every direction. So many thoughts, possibilities, decisions, emotions, dramas to manage in life, but we don't know how to manage them or which ones to choose or what direction we go in. How can we when we're overwhelmed and suffocated with so many forms and objects in our consciousness, we literally can't breathe. Most of humanity does not breathe consciously. Look at anyone when you go out on the street how nobody is breathing because they have a lack of this air element. We first need clarity in order to see the right way. We need to be in the centre of our storm where there is stillness. Only then can we understand the causes of all this chaotic phenomena within us. And once we understand, we have the ability to control the element of air and stop the storm. Hence, the heart chakra is essential for meditation, for deep meditation. You know people who say they can't meditate are usually stuck with wondering about so many things while they're trying to meditate. So many questions such as, is this the right way? Am I doing this right? Oh, this feels weird. Hmm, this is boring. Oh no, wait, I felt some bliss for a moment, I think. Maybe if I do this or that, I'll have a better meditation, etc. Not to mention all the rest of the random noise within. 
when in reality, in those moments, they are just caught up in the stream of thinking, caught up in the inner storm. And they are caught up and attached to this through identification. Once we disidentify, then we start to grow in awareness in the center of the storm, where there are no objects, where there is space to think. So the purpose is to disconnect from your thoughts and exercise awareness and observation over them. In other words, to disconnect from the storm and come back to the center. So the purpose of meditation is not to control thoughts, but simply become aware of them and be okay with that. Many people say, oh, I'm meditating, but there's so many thoughts. That's okay. That's part of the practice. If you weren't meditating, you wouldn't be aware of those thoughts in the first place. Do you think those thoughts are there when you're not meditating? Of course they are. There are many layers to our consciousness and subconsciousness. And the thicker that layer is, the more disconnected you are from reality. So don't expect that your mind is suddenly going to become silent all of a sudden. We have a lot of inner muck to work through. It's all a discovery. This is akin to the symbolism of the labyrinth. We have to just keep working through the labyrinth and eventually we'll find our way out of that maze, slaying many demons along the way. So this is a sort of common psychological dysfunction that we're presented with so many options in life and we have no idea what to do or where to go. And this has become far more amplified in only the last 30 to 40 years with advancements in technology, internet, transport, social media. We're presented with so many new ideas and possibilities, but barely any of us know what path we should take. And so part of self-realization and the power of the heart chakra is to realize what exactly you want to do in this world and then move towards it and live that vision accordingly without any hesitation or second thought because you have confidence, you know what you want to do. As Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Anything else comes not from heaven, but from adversary. In other words, don't be fickle, indecisive, or be on the fence. Don't try things, do them in order to know them. The heart chakra is called anahata in Sanskrit, which means unhurt, which points towards the fact that when this chakra is balanced and empowered, Nothing can get in the way of the heart's firm decision. Nothing can hurt it. This is why it's related to the powerful and courageous lion Leo in the Zodiac. You know, I sometimes shake my head when I read comments that say, uh, thanks Jean, I'm going to try this mantra. Uh, don't try, do. Trying implies that there's a little part of your awareness fragmented from the rest that's always looking and experimenting like a sceptical scientist. There's a time and place for being a scientist and spiritual practice is absolutely not one of them. Practice with your full being, full awareness. Commit totally. Give it your total attention.
Okay, so we're starting to get a more whole picture now, right? We've studied the nature of earth, water, fire, and now air. And you can somewhat visualize what your inner elements may look like in that visualization of the inner lake that which we did in episode 3. And the nature of these elements don't just disappear when we die, we bring them with us, as well as our consciousness and ego. So the complexity of our stage of self-realization doesn't just stop when we die, but it continues. For example, many times when people are in heaven, they don't like it because they are attached to hell. In reality, most of humanity today does not care about the higher dimensions, the spiritual heavens. Most people are in love with hell. You see how I said, in love. How can you be in love with hell? Well, you can, because the heart is a driving wheel of direction. It is our moral compass, and it can take us either to the positive or to the negative. Either direction still involves some sort of love, either transcendental love, altruistic love, or egoic, selfish, self-centered love that always justifies itself in its actions. You see, we usually follow our egoic conscience because the way it speaks to us makes sense logically. However, positive and upright conscience barely speaks at all. It will just tell us what we need to do, but we don't usually understand why we should do that. So we usually don't understand this because, especially when we're not in touch with our emotions. So really, in reality, people prefer or are happy in hell with all its vices, addictions and compulsions. Uh, it goes without saying for most viewers, heaven and hell are states of consciousness, okay? I'm of course not talking about it as merely a vague Christian ideology. They are real dimensional existences that are intimately tied to our being as consciousness. If this still somewhat confuses you, look into lower astral planes and higher astral planes and also the mental plane and causal plane. Uh, but I put a poll which I talked about at the beginning of the video which you can vote on that if you want me to explain these dimensions. Uh, and similarly, there are also sort of innocent people who say they truly want to go to heaven. In other words, higher consciousness. However, they're so imbalanced in the heart chakra and other chakras that when they think they're doing good, they're actually still making their lives a constant hell and their life becomes a constant struggle and battle. You may be able to think of examples in your own relations of when people seem to just have one problem after another and they seem to be innocent and want to try and fix them but the real problem is how negatively they're going about it or making themselves a victim or something. As the well-known proverb says, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. So in other words, it really doesn't matter what you do if the way you're doing it comes from a negative, victimized place because it will usually have a negative outcome. This happens when we try desperately out of suffering to put the pieces of our life together and think that 
external decisions and changes are going to fix our lives. For example, a couple who is having difficulties may choose to move to another country and think it may save their marriage, or have a child and think that will save their marriage. But obviously that's just a temporary cover-up on a path of ignorance. Obviously those old patterns will return because the issue at its root has not been given the proper attention at its core, at its heart. So we have to be willing to face all of our problems head on. And that takes daringness, courage, strength of heart that does not fear embarrassment, shame or humility. So really love is one of the most natural states we can feel. And the cause of why we are not commonly able to feel love is because we are disconnected from it. And how do we become disconnected? By constantly walking away from it, seeking something else to replace it in physical life. Not realizing that it is natural to feel when we stop seeking. When we stop trying to do something to add more to our life. We're taught in modern society that we must work hard in order to attain something, in order to attain love. And so we've trained ourselves to be these hard-working mules, putting 1000% efforts into attaining things. But by default, love requires no effort at all. However, for the average person today, it requires the same 1000% effort because we've disconnected ourselves so far from the purity of mind that we have to work back through all of the confusions, ideologies, concepts, pain, suffering and other entanglements of the ego. And when we're finally able to clean out all of our out-of-control desires and seeking and longings, only then does the arising of real cosmic love come within. Because there is space for love, for kundalini to enter, and once you find that, you'll never really rely on anyone or anything for your happiness. All you have to do is maintain your own spiritual connection. And actually, this is how we learn to love much more effectively. If your love is conditional for someone, then you're going to be asking them and demanding a lot of things. And you're not really being authentic. You're not really being the highest expression of love that you can be. But unconditional love, no matter what the person's faults are, is something on a totally different level that very few people are capable of. Or should I say, uh, very few people don't practice. Of course, we are totally capable of it. So, it's said in Gnosticism that Kundalini rises according to the merits of the heart, meaning the more we do what we know we are meant to do, striving for goodness, virtue, meaning and uprightness in our lives, then kundalini will rise accordingly. You attain a sort of vigour in spirit as you will to do what is good, what you know is good. You know it's our human nature to be able to conceive of the highest possible positive reality that we can, 
and then apply ourselves towards that. Why wouldn't we do that? There's really no other way to live. And to keep living like that until we face our death. Much better to keep moving forward than to stay comfortable in a nice place. Even the Buddha realised that because he was born into a privileged, rich, royal family and he realised that he couldn't find enlightenment with all that comfort so he left and pursued a life of asceticism. So, in a big sense, the heart is also the temple of prayer, in the sense that we desire and choose what we want with higher emotions, and we call out, we put vibrations out into the world of what we want in terms of spiritual self-awakening, and then choose to move towards that. So, on that note, let's move on to the practical part, and... and you know, well done to everyone who is seeking all of this self-improvement and self-realization diligently and patiently, not waiting for results, but just being a practitioner and embodying these teachings and with your own wisdom, it's really great to see. And for anyone else who is, you know, on the fence or scared to live a more committed spiritual life, uh, perhaps there's some self-hate or lack of self-belief, I just want to tell you that you can do it. I totally believe, not believe, I know that when you apply yourself to your highest self, you will transcend whatever adversary you are going through right now. And that is absolutely true in every regard possible. You will no longer suffer from whatever you are suffering right now. It doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, what your past is, what you think of yourself. You know, it's better to assume that we probably killed people in our past lives, that we probably did the worst crimes possible in our past lives. We've had thousands of years of war and bloodshed, so what's wrong with just assuming that we've done all that? If you think you're bad in this life, think about what you probably did in past lives to get to this point where we are just so unawakened and we don't see anything or understand anything. We're blind. We're demons. So it doesn't matter who you are. Liberation is now. It's this is the time. This is the time of, this is the age of Aquarius, a new cycle taught throughout many teachings. 2012 was just the beginning of much different energies on this planet. And it's very obvious to see in the manifestations of what's happening around the world. This is the time to wake up and do spiritual practice and live a better life. There's no other option in life than to take what we have now and walk towards it moving forward. It's not the time to stay in self-pity. It's not the time to have self-importance. It's not the time to overthink. It's time to walk the path and find self-realization. And you will make a massive difference, not just in your own life, but in the consciousness of everything. As I hinted earlier, nothing finishes when we die. The shaman Don Juan said that the only real advisor that we have, the only real spiritual teacher, the spiritual guru, is death. He said that 
death is our wisest advisor and that we should live with death by our sides and that any time we feel sad or we feel desperate in any situation we should turn to our death and ask what we should do because we can transcend many types of suffering many things but death is the one thing that controls us all nature dominates us all in this way and to approach life as a preparation for death is the ultimate way to live so you can devote yourself to spiritual practice anyone can daily spiritual practice you'll see a huge turnaround on every level of your being so just words of encouragement really you can do it don't let anyone any belief get in the way of that I also had a few questions related to how long we should chant these mantras. You can chant them in whatever way you like, however long you'd like. You can also combine multiple in one sitting. For example, you can do the OO mantra, the solar plexus mantra for five minutes, and then change to the RAM mantra, and then change to the RAM SWA mantra for another five minutes. Alternatively, you may choose to focus on the OO for one day and other mantras another day, or each one per week, etc. It's totally up to you and what you feel like you need and what you enjoy. It's totally flexible with all of these spiritual practices that I've been giving, including pranayama uh, and everything. The only general structure is first physical relaxation, then pranayama, then meditation with a mantra. If you want to do a mantra, you don't always have to do a mantra because of course you can also uh, do self-reflective meditation too, analyzing your own psychological states, your own psychological egos and things like that, everything that we've been exploring. So practice and experiment and try to be sensitive to the results and effects in your daily life. Pay attention to your state of mind, how often you're in a positive or negative mood, how your interactions are with others, whether you're getting a better grip over compulsions, etc. It's all a process. Enjoy each step each day. And I also had some questions about, you know, how long should I expect results? The answer is we're all infinitely unique souls with different layers of consciousness so it's almost impossible to give you a time to expect results. My personal advice is try to let go of expectations altogether if you want to gain the best possible results. The level of quality of practice and consistency and length will determine your level of quality in manifestations and usually manifestations come without us noticing because we've been so immersed in self-transformation in self-realization it's usually like a day or a week or it could be 10 minutes afterwards some, like something happened that we realized wow that would have never happened if I didn't apply myself in this more focused, direct way. And, you know, you realize through constant and continual practice that 
wow, I've, you know, transcended uh, certain anxieties, depressions. I don't feel like eating that extra piece of cake anymore. I don't feel so unhappy and feeling sorry for myself. I'm actually finding myself being polite and helping the people around me and things like that. And of course, you may have spiritual experiences too, if you, if you intend for that to happen. You will say, I'm remembering more dreams, I'm having more out-of-body experiences, I'm noticing telepathic communications, I'm feeling energy in my body and other people's energy. And this all adds to your own uh, awakening and intelligence and understanding of life. And of course, if you're new, you may want to start with just five minutes or ten minutes a day. You can even set a timer. And if you feel you're enjoying it and you become quite good at it in a sort of ritualistic way as part of your daily habits, then you can go all the way up to an hour a day if you feel like you want to. Okay, so as with the other chakras, I'm going to give you the main vowel that you can work with, with the heart center, which is the letter O. It's not pronounced O, it's pronounced O, and not U, like the letter U, but just O, okay? It sounds like this. O. A little bit like the OM mantra, but without the M. The OM mantra is also related to the heart, so you can certainly use that mantra as well. It's a very powerful mantra. Now, optionally, as you keep your awareness on the heart, you can also combine this with moving your awareness to other chakras at the same time and contemplate whether those chakras are operating through the intelligence and moral compass of the heart or not. You'll begin to sense whether how your other chakras have been functioning correctly and morally, and if not, you can simply feel what it is meant to do and solidify that into your being as you're meditating. Now recall from the previous episode we explored the mantra AH, which is to do with the lungs and Accordingly, is also to do with the element of air, but also akash. Akash, which in Sanskrit can also mean space or sky. So you can also combine this mantra or say it separately. Notice how people say, ah, when they're relaxing, because it brings spaciousness back into their consciousness instead of being overwhelmed with objects and forms in consciousness taking up all the space. They can breathe because there's space. Ah, right? The main purpose in the Gnostic tradition for chanting the mantra Ah is also to recall past lives. So similarly, Ah is the first vowel that babies learn throughout the world, no matter what culture or country you're from. Every baby, no matter who they are, first learns the word 
mama or papa. A is the akash. And of course, newborn babies have just come from another life. That soul just manifested out of akash, out of the space of consciousness and has come into the world of form, of sense objects. And so most babies more commonly first say mama than papa because a is the akash and m is the sensual center. Actually, this is also known in the Gnostic tradition as another mantra to connect with the Divine Mother and Divine Father. It's meant to be chanted as ma-ma, pa-pa, ma-ma, pa-pa. Actually, in Mozart's magic flutes of uh, Papagino, they actually say the or sing the, the mama and papa and I believe it was the Freemasons who were angry that they did so because uh, this was a secret mantra. And so the A mantra is not said as A, but A, like so. Ah. There is also a zodiacal practice related to the practice of Leo. Now, this is taught that it is particularly good to do during the time of Leo, but you can do it anytime, and I'm teaching it here because it is to do with the heart. And what you do is you don't sit down for this. You lie down in bed and you spread your arms and legs out like a star like a microcosmic star, like a pentagram, the pentagram being an expression of the human body. And you do that in bed and you totally relax. And when you're totally relaxed, you just keep your mind silently aware, observing the heart center. You focus it on the heart, a little to the left of the chest. And if you're very sensitive, you can feel it beating. You may feel the blood going through your entire body. You don't have to if it makes you squeamish, but you'll find with a little effort, you don't need to be squeamish. And you simply just breathe naturally and stay in this position, totally relaxed, totally silent, with inner silence, focusing on the heart. It's just a simple, silent meditation, but doing it while you're laying on bed is very powerful. You should do this midday. Don't do it at night when you're just going to fall asleep. Falling asleep is unconsciousness. So we want to be totally aware, vibrant with vitality, and just focusing on the heart. And you will feel a certain intelligence, a certain profoundness of being that arises when you just observe the heart and through entering the heart temple, you also exit the chaos of the mind. And it can be a very powerful practice, especially during the time of Leo, which is in July. 
Uh, I also introduced the deity Anubis in this episode. I also want to touch on the Divine Mother Kali. As you can see on the screen, she has heads, and similar to the Mantra Krim and the God Agni, you can ask her to destroy those egos for you, especially when using the Mantra Krim. This is particularly more powerful when we focus on the heart, since it's in the heart where we have love and attachment for the ego and choose to act out certain behaviours and habits and negative ways of being because of self-love. So all of these kind of new age teachings that tell you, you have to love yourself, uh, you are amazing, you are divine, infinite consciousness, it's not particularly exactly the case is it because we're mostly ego and so again we can't go about this simple-mindedly and naively just carelessly loving ourselves because that can set us up for a lot of conflict and a lot of more suffering when we don't get what we want like little babies because we love ourselves so much remember that loving yourself is a form of narcissism so it's not always good to say that affirmation of, I love myself. Why do you love yourself? You're the, the cause of all your suffering. Don't just naively love yourself. Of course, connecting to the heart chakra, we are connecting to an unconditional divine love and how I've been describing that kind of love it's is something way out of our reach in the highest dimensions of consciousness so until we reach that kind of love it's dangerous to say I love myself okay so to give a quick interpretation of this image Kali bests represents the divine mother's ability to transform us and get rid of our egos through her energetic love. As you can see, she's standing on the god Shiva, representing how nature rules us all, even the gods. And you can see how she has skulls or severed heads around her, meaning she's able to kill many of our egos in a very direct and ruthless way, because we asked her. And through that self-sacrifice of the ego, we are reborn through her. So the Divine Mother is not just this passive feminine force, she's also far more direct and forceful than masculine force. Now the deeper story of Kali is that there was once a spiritual war with a great demon, and this demon had a special power that every time a drop of his blood fell on the ground, more demons arose from there. So the gods were unable to beat him, so they went to the Divine Mother, Mother Durga, or Parvati, the Lord Shiva's wife, and asked her to defeat this powerful demon. Because remember, the Divine Mother is the mother of gods. She is more powerful than God itself. She gives birth to gods. And so being the Divine Mother who helps her children, no matter what, and in order to do so, she transformed into the goddess Kali. And the goddess Kali cut this great demon's head and collected his blood before it touched the ground and drank it and thus killed this undefeatable monster. But she also got engulfed by wrath that she started to slaughter everyone in her path. 
So, which, you know, points towards the fact that her fire is so powerful and transformative. Uh, but it came out of control. So the gods prayed to Lord Shiva, who came up with the solution to go and sleep in that war-torn land among all of the other dead bodies. And as Kali was making her way there, out of control, she stepped on Lord Shiva. And just when she realized she put her foot on her husband, she calmed down and inevitably turned back into her usual self. And the reason why she's depicted as naked is symbolic that a mother can go to any limits to save her child, even at the cost of her own decency, which of course we also see with physical mothers in waking life too, right? And so this is why any of us can invoke this cosmic energy, this powerful cosmic energy, to slay our demons. So she is actually a very high vibration of energy, and so when invoking her, you have to be very clear and specific of what you want to be destroyed during those moments, and at the same time, have a great love and respect for her so that the energy does not become too fiery or passionate and, you know, too transformative. We have to take our time. So notice how she has fire around her as well. As we've discussed in the previous episodes, this element of fire is great to have. It's very transformative and it can burn all of this air element of thought forms and crap that's going on in our minds. Okay, so this episode has gone on for quite long. Um, I'll definitely be covering more episodes on the heart because there is truly so much to talk about and so many different practices. Um, for example, there is known as seven centers within the heart chamber that we pass through on the path. Also on the topic of foods, uh, it's a very common piece of advice to eat foods that are the color of each chakra that you want to heal. So for example, with the heart, eats your greens, as they say, since the heart is an important one. And um, this wasn't really something uh, that I've focused on personally, but I, I've just noticed it's a very common piece of advice that you may want to do. Okay, and I've got a long list here. Uh, a shout out to Adorn, Kim, Zex, Constantinos, Laney, Donna, Ignacio, Benas, Chris, Joseph, Crystal, Edwin, Bobby, Ritesh, Atrine, Daniel, Ferrer, Colm, and Limesh. Thank you all for joining. We have a live Q&A voice chat event and guided meditation on Sunday. If you're interested in joining, just visit patreon.com forward slash astral doorway. Thank you everyone and see you on the next episode, which is on the throat chakra, which is where we learn about audience. Okay, and remember, see the pinned comments below and click the link and click what kind of series you'd like to see next and also comment on any sort of other episode suggestion that you'd like to see and I will probably add it to the episode list and if I see that certain ideas are more popular than others, I will probably do them sooner than later. Okay, thank you everyone. My name is Gene Hart and I'll see you on the next episode.